The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Good morning. Thanks so much for praying for us. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Natalie. I've um, been a member of the church since I was about 15 years old, so I've been around a while, and I have the privilege of working for the church, overseeing our social action. Um, And this is Becky. Hi. (laughs) As Natalie said, I'm Becky. Um, I'm a teacher and a senior leader in a secondary school. I've been a part of uh, King's Church family for just over 30 years, um, and I'm married to Ben, and our beautiful daughter Luna is with us as well. Brilliant. Becky's going to take a seat for a little bit so that she doesn't stand there awkwardly. Uh, Those of you who've been around over the summer will notice that we are kind of doubling up in our um, preaching and teaching during uh, the summer months. So we're doing it in pairs, which is great. So I'm going to do the first bit and then Becky's going to come up and share and then I'll come back up and just round it off. But we are talking this morning about heartache and hope. So yeah, heartache and hope. Um, I'd just love to start by asking you if you could put your hand up if you have ever, at any moment in your life, felt happy. That was a bit slow there. I'm a little bit worried. Okay. What about, this could be worse then. Put your hand up if you've ever felt sad. Um, What if you've ever felt angry? And do a final one. Have you ever felt disappointed? Yeah, pretty much all of us have felt everything. And one of the things I absolutely love about the Psalms, and I love while we're doing this Psalms series, is there's so much raw honesty in the Bible. If you're here and you haven't uh, yet read any of the Bible, or you've read some of it and you think it's difficult to understand, I'd really encourage you to dive into the Psalms, where you will just find the full range of human emotions. And so today, Becky and I are going to kind of, we're not going to dig into one Psalm in particular, we're going to actually look at three different Psalms, um, Psalms 31, 42 and 43. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to them, you can, but words will come up on the screen. And we're only going to dip into bits of them, but these are called Lament Psalms. And I think Andrew and Dan touched on lament at the beginning of this series. But lament psalms are are basically about what it means to experience both heartache and hope. And I just want to recommend a book to you. Um, If you want to know more about lament, there's a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. I read this book. I found it so helpful in helping me to communicate with God about all the things that upset me, all the things I struggle with, all the things I find confusing. Basically, any kind of negative or difficult emotion, this book is helpful to help us process it through the Psalms and other parts of the Bible. And in this book, the author describes lament as basically how we bring our sorrow to God, how we bring our sadness to God. He says that lament is how you live between these two poles of a hard life and trusting in the goodness of God. Life is sometimes hard, and God is always good, and somehow we live between those two things. We, we live trusting him even when life is difficult, and that is um, easy to say and not as easy to do, but whenever I feel any extremes of emotion, I tend to go straight for the Psalms. If I feel really happy, I go to the Psalms, because within them there's jubilant celebration, But if I'm struggling and finding things hard, I go to the Psalms because in the Psalms we can find utter despair and everything in between. 
The writers of the Psalms are honest, they are earnest, and they don't sugarcoat things. So in Psalm 31, we're going to look at some of this. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to dive in at verse 9. It says this, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbours and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. It's a pretty bleak psalm, isn't it? It's pretty negative. David isn't really holding anything back here. So it's been written by David, and David's going through a horrendous time. If you read about David in the Bible, you'll find that there was this amazing calling on his life where God had said, you're going to be my king. You're going to be my guy to lead my people. But before he became king, and actually after he became king as well, David went through a whole load of bad experiences. He went through things like being excluded, being mocked, being rejected, being persecuted, being hated. He spent a lot of the time, his life on the run for his life, in fear, in terror. And a lot of his problems actually came from his own family. It wasn't just enemies, it was people who should have loved him and been for him. But also David messed up. He made mistakes and um, he disobeyed God a number of times and and it went badly for him. And the most famous or the most well-known of these times is when he committed adultery with another man's wife and then had that guy murdered to cover it up. Yet in the New Testament, in the later part of the Bible, we know of David as a man after God's own heart. I think one of the reasons that David, despite all his uh, difficulties and despite all his sin and despite all, his, all the things he messed up, I think one of the reasons that he's called a man after God's own heart is because David had cultivated this, this kind of posture of pouring out his heart before God. He was someone who, whatever he was feeling... It came out. He told God. And this psalm is a good example because in it, he lists a whole load of bad things, the things that are going badly for him. He says, I've got enemies. He says, I've become a reproach. Basically, he's saying, I'm despised by my neighbours. His acquaintances don't want anything to do with him. It says that even people cross to the other side of the street to get away from him. It says that people are whispering about him and they're not even hiding it. He knows they're doing it. They're whispering and talking about him. He says he's feeling this intense fear of terror on every side as people around him plan to kill him. David is fearful, he's distressed, he's rejected, he's in despair. And it's not like a fleeting thing. He says he's cried so much that his eyes are wasted from grief. He says it's affecting his body and his soul. Have you ever had times like that where something has upset you so much, you feel like your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, every part of you is affected by the grief that you are going through? And it's not a temporary pain for David. It's not fleeting. It's not, he's not having a bad day. He's not in a bad mood. He's not having a bad month even. He says his life has been spent with sorrow and his years with sighing. He's been through a lot. And that's true for some of us too. 
And even if it's not true for you, it will be true for someone you know. All of us will know someone who has a long list of painful things that they have been through. And like I say, some of us, that is our story. It feels like just it's been one painful experience after another. And the Bible doesn't hide that. The Bible doesn't shy away from it. It's, God isn't afraid of it. God, God puts it there plainly for us to see and help us to relate to what is in his word. The Bible is honest that life can be extremely painful at times. But the question is, what do we do? What do we do when life is hard? What do we do when we're in pain or distressed or fearful or anxious? Well, I want to be honest with you. For the first 20 years of my Christian life, my answer to that was to run away from God. Anything bad that happened, anything confusing, anything distressing, it just seemed that my default was I'm going to run away from God. Kind of started me, I became a Christian when I was 15, but then when I was 18, I went and did something that was called a frontier year project. And it was basically a way of saying, God, I want to give a year of my life to you. And so at the age of 18, I was full of young zeal and probably a bit of foolishness as well. And I, I thought, oh, I'll give a year of my life to God. And a few months in, I got kicked off it. I got sent home and honestly, I was devastated. I was devastated by it. Um, I, I felt like I'd said to God, have a year of my life. And God had said, I don't want a year, just a few months will do, thanks. And, and then I don't want you anymore. I felt rejected. I felt rejected by the church. I felt rejected by God. And I ran from him. And I spent the next six years running from him, trying desperately to find anything. And part of the reason I was trying to look for anything else that would make me happy or that would satisfy me part of the reason was I didn't feel like I could be honest with God about how I felt so I felt I had to run from him because I felt like my emotions almost like I didn't think God could handle them but what I've learned in the more recent years of my Christian life is that the best thing and really the only thing worth doing when life is hard is to run towards God not to run away from him, but to run towards him. And so nowadays, I pour out everything I think to God. And those of you who know me and know what a talker I am, you can imagine, I wonder sometimes in my prayer life if God's like, all right, Nat, yeah, I get it now. But do you know what? It says in the Bible, it says in Lamentations 2 verse 19, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. So I will. So I do. I tell God how I feel. I talk to God about everything I find confusing and painful and joyful and wonderful and beautiful and awful. And I tell him about it over and over and over again. Because basically, if I feel sad for a season of time, then God's going to hear about it every time that feeling is still with me. Because I know that running to him is better than running away from him. You know, Jesus expressed the full range of human emotions. Jesus told his disciples, these were his friends, he told them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. So if Jesus can say that, then when I feel like that, I'm definitely going to say it to God as well. The Psalms show us we can talk to God about everything we think and feel. They encourage us to be honest with God because actually he knows it all anyway. And they even give us words when words fail us. One of the reasons I find the Psalms so helpful is because in the real extremes of emotion, whether it's extreme highs or extreme lows, it can be really hard to find the words to articulate what we're going through. So I go to the Psalms because I find words that have been written down hundreds of years ago that can help me to process what's going on. And what's interesting in this Psalm as well is that David says, my strength fails me 
because of my iniquity. Some of us, we know that the painful situations in our lives are actually because of our own sin. And sometimes we can think, well, if it's my fault, I can't come to God. But what the Psalms show us is even when our sorrow and grief and sadness is our own fault, we can still come and pour it out to God. We can still bring it to him. He is still the best place, the only place to bring our distress. Just briefly before Becky comes up, the book I mentioned encourages four stages of lament. The four stages are these, turn, complain, ask, um, and trust. Turn in that we turn to God, that's where we go. Complain, not as in moan about it, but be honest, tell God exactly how you feel, express your complaint, especially if you're not happy about your circumstances, feel free to say that to God. Ask, which we see in this psalm where David is asking God to change his circumstances and then trust that God will intervene. One of the reasons I found it helpful reading that book and uh, picking up that process is it's not a magic formula, but it's just a helpful process, is that I so often want to skip the process. I don't want to go through the process. I want to pray a prayer and then be fine again. I think God has given us a process because process is important. The process matters. And so we see in Psalm 31, not only David um, pouring out his heart before God, but he's asking God to do something, to change his circumstances. Two things David does that I think are absolutely crucial, though. We see in verse 21, David reminds himself of the past. He reminds himself that God has delivered him from a besieged city before. God has shown his wondrous love to him before. But also he reminds himself of his future hope. In verse 19, he says that, God, you've got good things stored up for me. In the place of lament, it's so important that we both remind ourselves of what God has done in the past and we remind ourselves of every promise he has made for us in the future. Becky's going to come up now. Why don't we welcome her up again? Thanks, Matt. Um, I read a statistic recently that one in six adults live with a mental health issue such as anxiety, depression, stress, or loneliness. That there are 80,000 young people living with depression in the UK. In fact, some children as young as three have been diagnosed with a depressive issue. In my line of work, pastoral leadership, we're seeing more and more young people crying out for help with their mental health and welfare needs. And often with little times of hope. We live in an ever-increasing society, reality, that is so countercultural to the world that God created for us where hope is really hard to cling on to. And sometimes we might see that our spiritual life undulates. For those of us who are Christians, we know and believe the spiritual truth of adoption and salvation. We have the certainty of the gospel and the ultimate mercy of God. We live in a loving relationship with our Father under his truth, and yet we can still have tears for food day and night. The sometimes heart-aching circumstances in life that we face 
mean that we are not immune to the hurts of the world around us, be it through our own experiences or often from witnessing the injustices happening to those around us. If you're anything like me, we can sometimes find ourselves in the pit pouring it all out to him, consuming tears for breakfast and tears for dinner. I'm quite an emotive person. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 really resonate with me. They are mournful prayers. They are spoken in desperation by the writer. They are laments. And laments, if I can get a bit English teachery for a minute, are defined by being a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. They're a complaint or a regret or a disappointment. And throughout these emotive verses, there is an ongoing spiritual battle between the writer and God. And ultimately, it takes the reader on a journey from deep pain to a procession of hope. So if you can, let's turn to Psalm 42. It should appear on the screen behind me. And I'm just going to pick out a few verses. I'm going to jump here and there. So, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet my God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And verse 5, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And I'm just going to jump to verse 7 as well. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. So I'm just going to focus on those verses uh, for now. So the sons of Korah, the, whom these psalms were written by, were King David appointed men. They were choir leaders. And as we know throughout history, oral tales are told through song, and uh, throughout the Bible, there are recounts of the hardships that the sons of Korah faced. For example, in Numbers, an entire generation of them are completely wiped out. So their painful circumstances are expressed in these verses alongside David's own turmoil, as Natalie referenced earlier. And this psalm was an educational tool. It's a song, and the opening of it contains a verse that I used to have on my wall from the Christian bookshop down the road as a teenager. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul thirsts for God. It serves as a reminder about the pursuit of God's grace. It's a classic, comforting verse, and I always interpreted the imagery uh, as, as us, the deer, panting, and God being the water, our life source, our nourishment, and we are reminded to keep seeking him. We pursue a relationship that is drenched in his mercy and his love. God reminds us in this verse that he is a place of safety and protection. He is our living water as we are the deer. And deer can often seek refuge um, in water. And whenever we are thirsty, we can come to him. As we see elsewhere in John 4, verse 14, it says that Jesus is our living water and our foundation for life. And often deer submerge themselves in water to escape prey. And the imagery in this verse has a connotation of fleeing an enemy 
to seek protection and refuge in God. Now, this is really easy to remind ourselves of when we aren't facing a season of spiritual drought or hunger. And funny enough, when I was writing this, there was a drought. When it feels like the life source of water is completely dried up, when we aren't struggling through life's undulations of sin, sickness, pain, grief, or oppression, and the safety of that water feels distant. The remainder of the psalm and the context in which it was written shows the writer in a battle with themselves, desperately seeking the presence of God as they face their drought. When I was preparing for this talk, it was a pretty painful, significant time in my life. Significant change at work. We suffered a family bereavement. There was a lot of heartache. And initially, when Natalie asked me to prepare with her, I thought this talk could have come at a better time. I was going through a battle in my soul for so many reasons. I prayed like my life depended on it because I didn't know the outcome. And the words of the psalm resonated so strongly, it actually was an inner working of peace in my heart in this preparation. Now, the key to this psalm is found in that repeated refrain, which is found in verses 5 and 11 of Psalm 42 and 43, verse 5 as well. They're often read together, 42 and 43. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Just take a second, have a think. How often have you looked at another Christian and assumed that they have it together? That they're all okay, their lives are happy and sorted. It's so easy to make this assumption from their outwardly appearance and not necessarily recognise the heartache going on inside. Dr John Henry Jowlett once wrote about this struggle in a letter to a friend. He said, I wish you wouldn't think I'm such a saint. You seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy. By no means. I'm often perfectly wretched and everything appears almost murky. I often feel as though my religious life had only just begun and that I'm in the kindergarten age. But I can usually re re sorry, trace these miserable seasons to some personal cause. And the first thing to do is to attend to that cause and get into the sunshine again. Like Dr. Jowlett, even David, a man after God's own heart, was in despair. It just shows that we can be too. But we are saved by his grace. We can still repeatedly face difficult times, just as Nat said. Even Jesus faced his own soul being downcast. He witnessed the oppression that others faced, and it broke his heart too. And as Natalie said, there are sometimes moments where we feel forgotten by God, Jesus on the cross cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And yet the glory of the crucifixion is that we are saved by his mercy and his sacrifice. God created this purpose and shows this struggle because it shows that we have hope. And we praise in the struggle when we lean into God. In Psalm 43, it tells us, I put hope in God for I shall again praise him. It identifies our fulfilled prophecy of truth that we are saved, that we must place our hope in God because ultimately the painful times do not last. 
we are told, we're told imperatively, put your hope in God. Why are you so miserable? Trust in God. Put your hope in God. And I'll admit this is a concept that took a really long time for me to come to terms with. How on earth can I, in the depths of my despair, possibly find fulfillment and joy? How can I sing through the tears and the heartache? And then one day, someone spoke over me that God loves our emotions too. He created us to have these feelings as part of our makeup as human beings. And whilst God doesn't intentionally want us to hurt, he has created us to feel. Just as he felt, just as he wept, just as he also gives us the gift of joy. We are told that he wipes our tears, so of course he knows that we have them. I encourage you to find joy in the truth that Revelation 21 states that one day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. We learn that in these Psalms that our souls might be downcast, but we can ultimately do something about it by putting our hope in God and resting in the fact that these things will pass away. Verse 7 is like a baptism of truth. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And in this verse, we could interpret the choir master's image of waves as being like troubles. And like waves, troubles surge. They can swell over and over, and it can be so deep that we cannot find a way out. And sometimes Christians can find themselves blaming God. Why have you forsaken me in our painful situations? But I challenge you, if we choose to remain with the image of waves as just being trouble and are the depth of our need, then we're just going to drown in them. If we change our mindset to the waves as the spiritual fulfillment of God's promise, then suddenly the waves change from being the depth of our need and begin calling to the depth of God's fullness. And when this happens, the depth of God's fullness comes calling to the depth of our need. And God's love washes over us like waves. If we roar in praise, like Amy's amazing uh, sort of cry of praise earlier on, if we roar in praise through the depths of the roaring and cling to God as our stronghold, when these times drown us, then we will never be in drought. We can be baptized in his love and deepen our relationship with him. Because we are ultimately a called people to deepen our spiritual relationship with God, to worship and rejoice, even when our hearts can't face it, and we put our hope in the one who ultimately knows it all, has faced it all, and has written the path that we are to take, all for his kingdom's glory. But Psalm 43 is not just a lament for our own circumstances and difficult times. It's also a lament for the pain that others face. And sometimes that can be even harder to bear. I'm the designated safeguarding lead at my school and I've been in pastoral leadership for some time and there have been moments where I have been completely battered and broken by some of the situations that I've witnessed. It has honestly brought, to my, brought me to my knees. It's made my soul downcast and knocked the wind completely out of me. In a culture where sin is so readily available at our fingertips, it can be really hard to escape from the work of the enemy. 
if I don't keep baptizing myself in his mercy, trusting in God's goodness and putting my hope in God? So what does this look like? Practically speaking, to lament for ourselves and others. Well, firstly, ultimately, pray. Grow your faith in him. Communicate your hurts. He knows it. He feels it. He weeps with us. But he also encourages us to trust in our faith and that it has a purpose. When we witness the injustices on others, call on him to lead you to the foot of the mountain, to where he dwells and just seek him. Seek him for those in your life who are crying out, who face the deep roar of those waterfalls and who feel that, like they're being silenced by their struggles. Secondly, you could recall the blessings that he's released over your life already. I'm just going to take a second. When I was preparing this, it made me think of, um, in January, on my husband's birthday, <laughs> sorry love, I rear-ended my car and, um, and wrote it off completely. It was a lovely birthday present for him. And... Um, uh, my poor little polo and um, the insurance money came through about a month later about 896 pounds for my little blue polo and I uh, thought okay brilliant we'll buy a new car and then Storm Eunice hit that week as well I thought right okay and um, we had to have our guttering fixed we couldn't really afford it and I was praying I was like for goodness sake God first the crash now this come on the total cost of the replacement for the guttering was 891 pounds. God blesses us, even in the small things, even when we feel like there is an injustice. As Matthew 19, 21 says, with God, all things are possible. Rejoice that if God can rescue you, that there is hope and salvation for our nation. Next, we need to analyze where God ranks in our life. Is he at the front and center of everything you do? Is he the one you turn to? to tell him of your pain, or is he the one you ultimately blame? But also, do you talk about him to others? Are there those in your life that need to hear his gospel? Can you share this in your painful times when you empathize with non-Christians? Set an example to them to rest in his goodness. And as part of that, walk in obedience to God and repent. He delights in our obedience. He wants us to have a deep relationship with him without any of those barriers in the way. So tell him what is hindering the deepening of that relationship. And finally, let it go. Give it all over to God. Place it at his feet and know that he has you held in the palm of his hand. You cannot say that you trust in the Lord with all your heart and then hang on to the struggle with both of your hands. Psalm 42 tells us, put your hope in God. Place it with him, and then we will see his glory at work in our circumstance. Can the band come back up? Um, yeah, I just, as we finish, just want to say God cares about whatever you are feeling right now. Like I say, it could be anywhere on that scale of emotions, but what the Psalms show us is that God cares. God cares. He sees every heartache. He sees every tear. He sees every joyful moment. The Psalms even tell us that um, God collects our tears as if in a bottle. Like He sees every single one. He cares whatever we are going through. So Becky and I just wanted to encourage you this morning to pour it all out to God. He knows that bad things happen. He 
he knows, he sees, he cares. He wants to hear it from us. He wants us to tell him everything we are troubled by, but also everything we're excited by. But the key thing is to not stay in that place, not live in it. Pour it all out to God so that he, by his grace and his mercy, as Becky so wonderfully helped us to see, can move us on out of that place. Why don't we stand? We're going to worship God. As we do, I'll just pray quickly. Yeah, Father, I pray you would help us to really pour it all out to you. And as we do that, God, I pray we would know your comfort. I pray we would know you in it, with us, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're experiencing, I pray we would know your hand at work in our lives, bringing us comfort, bringing us joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances. God, would you be with us? Thank you that you are with us. Thank you you've promised you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Thank you even as we were hearing about, um, as we were singing our worship to you um, uh, earlier this morning, that we are not forsaken. We are not forsaken. We are those you delight in. You are the God of the whole universe and yet you care about how our hearts are. You care about how our minds are. You care about how we are doing. Thank you, Father, you are good. We worship you.